Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning with J.W. Marshall uh, from MarketScale. I'm excited for today's episode because we are going to talk about a topic that we have never talked about before and uh, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. On today's episode, we've got Ed Gardner, business manager and Eleanor Managing Director of eLearning Voices, not to be confused with our podcast, Voices of eLearning. Ed and Eleanor, how are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Thank you very much. Very well. Excellent. And so if you could give our audience just a brief background on yourselves and on eLearning Voices and what you guys do, I think that would be a great way to start the conversation before we get into some questions. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, hello, I'm Ed. Um, so yeah, eLearning Voices is the company that that, that we run. Um, it, it's been around a number of years, but it's um, we're very much a champion of what good voicing looks like in the e-learning sector. Um, so um, it it effectively is set up to reflect the the, the the fundamental change we've seen in the e-learning industry over the last couple of years. Um, previously. Um, anyone making an e-learning program could go to one of many hundreds of, of voiceovers out there. There's a lot of talent, lots of great voices, and they would pick a voice that sounded pretty good, um, and that would be good enough. Um, but what we've seen is that um, certainly the, the, the top end of the market, uh, increasingly the mid-market now, uh, need voices for their compositions that really engage the, the listener, the, 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 the learner. Um, and they're also looking for much more diverse voices. Um, and so we, we built this business to be a specialist um, a voiceover company for the e-learning sector. We do audio management and we have a, an enormous global network of voices that we found and validated. Um, so, yes, we, 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 we deliver this, uh, these services to, uh, to some of the largest e-learning companies. We, we, we tend not to interact directly with, with enterprises, with the corporates. We, we usually uh, service the, um, the specialists in e-learning, um, the people who make the compositions, and with the advent of, well, the, the, the increasing use of uh, animation and gamification, um, we, we find that uh, you know, they're coming to us a lot now. Um, the, the the business itself has a very interesting history, um, and and to uh, to talk you through that, I should really hand over to Eleanor. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a a strange old journey because. Um... I'm probably quite good at adapting. I think in business you always have to be, um, whether you want to or not. And and certainly there are times when I definitely <laughs> didn't want to or was forced to, um, because the way that um, all this came about was because I worked for probably 13 or 14 years with my husband, and we were a, a male-female voiceover partnership. And we seemed to have just cornered the market in e-learning corporate. We were both very good at that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that we also did as voiceovers was we provided a lot of the vo the announcements on the London Underground. So it's my voice that tells you which train to catch. And my husband will still say to this day, mind the gap and other announcements. So he's pretty much one of the most iconic voices in London, if not the UK. Um, sadly, he died four years ago. And one of the things that became very apparent is that although obviously they still have his voice as the mind the gap announcement, there are lots of things that he then 
couldn't do because he wasn't able to. Um, and so his clients, because they didn't want to phone a widow and say, oh, can you find somebody that sounds a bit like your husband? They would sort of go elsewhere and find somebody that maybe wasn't as good. Sometimes they did find somebody that was as good, but it was a minefield that they just couldn't navigate. And I realized that there was a need for somebody to kind of say, right, well, I know the industry, I know the good guys, um, I know who the you know, who the good guys are, and and I also know who who's not very good. Um, so it was a it was a real opportunity for me to kind of go right, okay. So everybody is replaceable, um, and sometimes for whatever reason they have to be replaced. But there's still a need to get those good voices used and out there, and and that's where e-learning voices kind of came about. That's a, a really interesting story, and that kind of leads to my next question. What specifically is the difference or some of the differences between a voice that would be very adaptable to e-learning versus a lot of other different types of voice talent out there? I think there's got to be a lot of clarity um, within the voice, but also um, what a lot of people don't realize is that the voice needs to be intelligent because they need to really understand a lot of complex material. A lot of what I do is pharmaceutical. Um, narration it's also health and safety and a lot of this material is it really is life and death if you get it wrong um so you have to have a level of intelligence that you know not everybody has or, or a certainly level of education i've got somebody on my books um with e-learning voices that actually got a double first from the university of oxford <laughs> so not everybody needs to be that well educated but i certainly think there's it's not just a good voice, it's got to be somebody that can really take the script and interpret it in the correct way and make it sound like they know what they're talking about. Because we, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I can certainly sound like I am um, fully, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of the material and, and able to, uh, to to translate it to the listener, a lot of whom are doctors or people that work on oil rigs and that kind of thing. And this is just a question I've always wondered it's a special skill. And could you give us any kind of uh, understanding beyond the uh, you know obvious on how do voiceover uh, workers take a script and make it sound like they're not reading a script? Do you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I know the answer to that, it, only in that it becomes something that you, it's second nature to look at a script and you almost feel it. You know, you, you're almost sitting there in front of the script, explaining the script as you go along. Um, there's, there's a real skill to being able to sight read something and, and make sense of it. And of course, a lot of the time when you uh, when you're recording, you can go back and you know if you kind of go, oh, I've got that wrong. You you also know to, to correct yourself. I think also it, what I've seen it, it 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 comes from experience. So we talk to to many voiceovers, and 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 the voiceover industry is 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 fairly diverse. And you know you get voiceovers who are great at narration. Some of them are great at character actors. Some of them do audiobooks or announcements or commercials. But when you come across somebody who has experience of e-learning, and, and for me, that means they absolutely understand the learning journey and how to engage the learner. It's only when you've done it a few times and you have experience and you have that empathy and you understand what e-learning really needs to look like, can you deliver the voice of a transcript that 
you know, is not just high quality, but actually really resonates with somebody who's trying to learn something. And not every voice is suitable for it. And we come across that quite often. We come across a, a lot of voice talent who have a brilliantly sounding voice, but they're not quite... Uh, you know um, the, the voices that that would really resonate with our you know with with, with our end users. And they're not necessarily right for e-learning, and I think a lot of the time people will set themselves up as a voiceover and say, right, well, I can do e-learning, I can do IVR, I can do commercials, I can do web videos, and actually, not everybody can necessarily do all of those things. Some can, um, but we've got people on the books who we know are not necessarily great narrators, but they're brilliant character actors. And what we've noticed more recently is that now that there's the, the gamification of the industry is, is is getting greater and greater so people are finding more interesting ways of engaging their user um so we've got lots of little vignettes and lots of little videos and um games and things that might require a character whereas it always used to be that's not quite right click next to continue and that kind of thing and it's not there's still a lot of that but there's an awful lot more, um, you know, superheroes or young mums or, you know, th there's just a bit of everything. And, and that's what. Yeah. yeah, that's an important point, actually, because nowadays, just the way that the e-learning industry is going with much more blended programs, um, it, it's increasingly necessary to have a variety of media to keep that learning journey going. You know, so um, we're often asked now. So, so a couple of years ago, the demand was for, um, you know, you could get by as a voiceover if you were, I don't know, Scottish male, for example, or, or you know, or, or American female. And that's how we used to classify it. And most of the work could be furnished by those voices. What we're seeing today is a demand for diversity. So much more obscure voices, um, as well as that, um, especially with the advent of animation, um, you will get a lot more learning programs that are that involve multiple voices, mm. and they, you know, so you we got requests very recently for um, an animation program that had four or five very different voices, mm. and each had a very important role. And um, every now and again, you'll get a character actor who may be able to do a couple of roles, but you will, we're certainly finding now the demand for much more diversity, which we love. We love that. We think that's fantastic, mm. but it's fueled by the, the the users they they need to be engaged they need that diversity they need a whole diverse range of of voices to overlay the transcripts and and uh, the animations and i think that's what's really lovely about the way that the industry's going as well is that people do want these people to be you know lots of different accents lots of different um, nationalities to be part of their e-learning programs and it always used to be um a very kind of that we call it, I don't know if you call it this in America but um we we call it RP received pronunciation where it's kind of like the queen's english which is what most people speak um when they're doing an e-learning narration but now um there's far more call for regional accents and um the, yeah there's lots more diversity and it's it's really really good to see absolutely and it seems part of that trend is also uh getting away from just generic one size fits all trainings there is more customization more personalization per company per topic um and that's really exciting because that's going to be more engaging to a learner if that content is in their voice or uh, not just a kind of a boring generic script. Yeah, if there's somebody on the screen or, or whose voice is coming out of the speaker that represents them, they're, for, they're for far more likely to uh, to engage with them than somebody that 
clearly sounds like they came from a different part of the world or a different, you know, we've got to engage with a whole range of people. And that's what's nice. Absolutely. As kind of a, a follow up to that, um, a lot of e-learning courses just have one voice. Um, obviously, some diversity is, is going to be good because it will reach multiple learners in, in multiple ways. Is there a risk of having too many voices and having it being kind of disjointed? Or what's your experience been in that respect? I think there can sometimes be too many voices, but I think as long as the storyboard is good and it's it, 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 there's a reason for them to be there, then there's nothing wrong with, with that at all. Um, it'd be like saying that you can't have an animation or a TV program with too many characters. You know, as long as they've, the, as long as they're relevant, um, there's nothing wrong at all. Um, one of the problems that we find as producers is that we, it's, it's not impossible, and 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 we've worked very hard to find the right people. Um, because not everybody's got a really good studio sound, so we've always got to use people that have got a studio sound that's good enough that the sound matches the studio sound that everybody else is producing as well because all of our voices work from home studios which is perfect obviously now during coronavirus during lockdown um it would be a disaster i think if we were using people that only ever went to external studios but that means that we have to vet quite carefully who we bring on board because we don't want people with you know reverberation or um a, a, a cheap microphone um because then they won't match with the audio that other people are sending. Yeah, it becomes increasingly, almost exponentially com um, complex as you add more voices because you have to do so much editing and matching the sound levels. And um, the problem that we, we saw from our market a couple of years ago was that a number of organizations, whether they're uh, enterprise end users or they're, they're um, e-learning organizations, they would themselves have to go out and find the voice they need. And because they didn't have a roster of voices themselves, certainly not a wide one, and they didn't have a, a you know partnership with someone like us who's a specialist, and we've got lots of voices, they would go out to somebody who is a I don't know a male UK voice, somebody who would be uh, I don't know Scottish female, somebody who is a Spanish female, or whatever, and then they would then have to match all the audio, and the, you know these are not audio professionals, they're I don't know, professional animators or whatever. It's not their core skill. Um, and so we've seen a you know quite a, a large demand for that simply because of the demand for a variety of voices and multi voice because that brings a lot of e learning programs to life, but, but with it it's complexity. Mm, but it's not just that because at the moment now everybody's got better speakers than they used to have. Yeah. So you know you find me a laptop that doesn't have a B and O speaker attached to it anymore. You know that the the sound quality coming out of our computers now is phenomenal compared to how it was even five years ago. So it's really important more than ever to make sure the sound is of high quality because the listener will not engage if they I, I do feel like the listener and, and the, the end user feels insulted if you don't give them a good production. And that's a, a growing trend uh, as we've gone through the last six months of uh, the uh, pandemic. It, it seems like uh, listeners, learners were very forgiving at first, the first uh, month, the first two, three months. And now we've reached a point where I think they've overcorrected and their expectations for the quality of e-learning in general, uh, as well as the voiceovers and the, the content has gone up exponentially, almost to an unfair point uh, to the creators of a lot of these materials because they're scrambling very quickly in many cases to pr 
build these e-learning uh, content pieces because they have to now. It's the only way they can reach their audiences. Is that a, a similar trend that you guys have seen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're absolutely, we're seeing increasing intolerance of, of poor quality programs and poor audio. Um, I think it reflects the wider market personally. I think, you know, you look at just in, in, in consumer buying behavior, you know, um, and the fact that people are buying more things online, you know, the, the, the whole of the, the, the enterprise market is about hyper-personalization and, and the, the experience of the users. People aren't buying products anymore. They just they want to have a fantastically dynamic and personalized experience. And with that actually comes a lot of intolerance. So the demand for really high-quality, personalized audio with, with sound level matching, with a great range of quality, the, the demand for high-quality and the, the intolerance of poor quality is only going to get more pronounced. Absolutely. We've kind of shifted into the, the pandemic discussion. So uh, I'd like to ask, you know, what were the trends happening pre-pandemic with uh, e-learning in general and the, the voices uh, and then how has that changed uh, during uh, this pandemic? I think it was already going towards gamification. Um, it was already looking like um, people were wanting to spend more money on e-learning and make it more and more engaging and more exciting for their um, staff. Um, but what seems to have happened is that people, because they haven't got staff at home, they're, they're trying, sorry, they haven't got staff in the office. They're trying really hard to find other ways to engage them. And they're almost making even more of an effort to to produce good quality e-learning, which has been a real delight to see, actually. We've had some really exciting projects coming through, which, you know, every one is different. Some of it is um, little snippets of, of films or silly game shows or things like that, and, and some is really serious stuff. Um, the oil and gas market seems to be... The oil and gas market hasn't really changed a great deal. That still seems to be very much regulated. So they can't do an awful lot of gamification, I think. They're, they're still probably, I wouldn't say old-fashioned because it's work that I really enjoy, but it's kind of, it's it's still very traditionally learning. Um, whereas what I'm finding is places like, you know, banking uh, and insurance, they've got a bit more leeway to be a bit more creative. So they're the ones that are kind of um, coming up with all these little scenarios and videos and quizzes that have multiple characters and, and they're really good fun. But in their own way, they're 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 all really good fun to put together. Yeah, I, I think in 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 general terms, what coronavirus has done is showed that the power of technology technology works. You know, we went from you know this time last year with some skepticism around whether people could work from home, whether these digital technologies could work, and then in the space of a few weeks. Um, everybody went working from home and, and the technology worked. You know, people stood up Microsoft Teams or, you know, um, everyone went into video conferences and, and the technology worked. It was robust. You know, the bandwidth was acceptable. I mean, we do get frustrated sometimes with, with, with lots of video conferences, but the technology works and people were much more accepting of this new digital world. Um, at the same time, uh, e-learning was starting, you know, that industry was investing much more in new innovative technologies. There's fantastic animation software out there now. Learning management systems, there's, there's quite a few different types, but, you know, you've got really high-end organizations like SAP, you know, developing and producing these fantastic learning management systems, which work really, really well, and they engage the user. And um, so, yes, we, we, we saw the beginnings of this 
last year that technology was coming to the fore in e-learning. Um, over the past six months, the technology and the infrastructure has proven to work. So as we, you know, as we progress into 2021, our expectation is that technology will become front of mind. And what that means for the for, for the learner is that they will be much more accepting, in fact, even more um, expecting of a more technology blended experience. So no more, you know, face to face learning. In fact, no more pure e-learning actually a blended experience a, a journey with multiple threads um all fueled by you know a very robust technology platform and that technology is in place today it works we've proven it um so our expectation is that learning programs will be uh, have multiple dimensions there may be an element of face-to-face -face. there'll be some videos there'll be some traditional transcripts that are voiced there'll be animation there'll be gamification there's a whole set of dynamics that are fueled by some underlying technology that is becoming now that the, will become the norm and you've beat me to my last question asking where is everything going uh, and i think that's a great answer and i think that's something that we're we're finally seeing um i believe this is the beginning of the golden age of education uh not just e-learning but but learning and uh that we're seeing uh humanity become a culture of learning and the accessibility has played a big role in that um, as well as the technology that's making that possible so um, I think you're you guys are right on uh, spot yeah I mean there's probably two other dimensions as well which we think are fueling it and why we actually committed to to you know to grow our business into e-learning rather than I don't know corporate narration or whatever and it, 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 one of them's probably to do with coronavirus and it's you know people found themselves at home probably with a bit more time but with a little bit of an element of is my job safe and the reaction to that was I need to reskill I need to learn stuff I need to become better at what I do um, and so that has obviously given a um, you know, a rise to 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 the mandate for for learning. You know, people need to learn new stuff or consolidate what they think they should know. Um, the other thing that's fueled it is um, is automation. So um, already we are seeing a lot of process automation hit large organizations. So there's a there's a technology called RPA, robotic process automation. The the software vendors for that particular technology are the fastest growing software companies in the world. I'm talking about Blue Prism, UiPath automation anywhere. And what they do is that they automate back office tasks. And what that means is that they're, you know, it, this this is the start of automation in, in enterprise. There are other more specific areas, you know, in radiology, a, you know, AI can spot cancers much more quickly and accurately than, um, you know, radiographers. Um, in the legal sector, you know, much of what a lawyer does is look uh, for precedents in, in, in old contracts. And obviously software can do that very quickly because the costs of storage and processing are, are much cheaper nowadays. So where this takes people um, um, to knowledge workers is that they need to reskill they need to invest in themselves if they're going to um, be relevant in, in in the future of work and and that's why we think that a lot of them are looking to broaden their skill sets and that's driving this uh, newfound desire to uh, to learn in in new ways and, and classroom teaching is is not the way to do that at scale e-learning e is is the vehicle for for allowing people to to reskill and become relevant in future and the joy of learning actually is it can be really really good fun um yeah. and these companies that are making it fun are the ones that are 
having such huge success at the moment because there's it's it's a bit like having somebody just standing at the front of a classroom teaching you something and talking at you and getting the class involved with learning and those people those teachers that get the class involved with learning always have a better outcome um than people who are just spoken at um and i just think it's really exciting to be part of this new wave of of, of e-learning of the, of the new technology that's that's involved in it and and it's it's great fun to do and it seems like uh, it's something that is really going to be a must-have in the future. If e-learning was kind of a nice-to-have, I feel like through this pandemic, it's become a must-have. And I don't think that's going to go backwards. I think that is going to become not just for uh, learners, for workers, um, who are in some ways already doing some of this or have been with a LinkedIn learning or a Udemy or a number of uh, ways that they could go outside of the workplace and upskill. But I think the pressure is really going to continue to build on employers to provide those uh, those courses, that content, those upskilling opportunities. Otherwise, their workers may go somewhere else to find those opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there is um, an increasing expectation of any employee that their employer is going to provide the, the foundation, the technology, the mandate, the, the, the time available to continuously skill up their employees. And that's what, um, you know, new employees are looking for. Um, you know, if you, if you um, most or you know, in, in the UK, there's a very um, well-evolved graduate and apprentice program uh, across enterprises. Um, and those young people are, are, are not looking to go into the organization and do a particular role and stay in that role for the next 20 years. Their expectations are that their employer will continue to invest in them and give them the freedom and the uh, and the environment to develop new skills and skills that they don't know what they, you know, that they're not even aware of yet. Um, you know, gone are the days of a, of a job for life. Um, you know, you join a company, you, you do the role you applied for for uh, an increasingly limited period of time, but you give those, you, you need to have choices. And that's what young people want. They, they want choices. They want options all the time. They want to feel in control of their destiny. And they can only do that by be, being um, given the means and, and the time to, uh, to choose what they want to, uh, to learn uh, and how they can continually invest in them. And employees that don't pro provide that that don't have the tools of e-learning, that don't offer the variety of channels and media uh, that young people are seeking. I don't think that they're going to capture the talent that they need to remain competitive. Absolutely. I think it's attracting that talent and a selling point to work for that company, but then probably even more importantly, a retention tool to keep those, those high quality performers at your company. And, uh, uh, probably even incorporate them into the e-learning process for others, you know, using the people you have, your subject matter experts, your top talent to then recruit more and uh, do more to keep the rest of your top talent uh, developing and, and staying with your company just makes good business sense moving forward. Yep, totally agree. Totally. Mm. And we hope that's the case because we're, we're betting our business on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one last question. Uh, you made me think earlier about... Uh, is it helpful for an e-learning voice talent to actually have an education background, to be a former teacher, or professor, things of that nature? Or is it really just a, a skill that you can fine tune and hone even without that teaching experience? 
I don't think it necessarily matters. I think um, we have got a few people on our books who come from an education, an education background and they are used quite often for educational um, material. Um, but I don't think it necessarily is the case because actually I think that if you're used to teaching, say, reception or, or, or young children, you might be a little bit patronising in a way that actually children's education is best done by somebody that isn't so patronising. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I don't think there's a particular type of person actually that's that's suitable um, for e-learning. There's a some people are good at certain things and some people are, are good at others. And 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 I think that one of the most important things is that you actually have an interest in the material that you're reading. So if you're um, if you have a fairly scientific background, then you'll be really interested in the medical narration and the um, the oil and gas. Um, but that doesn't necessarily always figure. It's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, we get people who uh, think they will be, you know, they, they'll come to us and say, I've, I've, I've been told I've got a great voice. And indeed, they may well have a fantastically sounding voice. But can they read a transcript and make it engaging and sound that they know what they're talking about and, and for 10,000 words non-stop yeah, non-stop exactly <laughs> yeah spotting any in, in, in inaccuracies in the mm. script of which there are always some um that's much more difficult um we get people who become um a voiceover free learning much later in life um you know from from all walks i, I think for me it's uh, the importance is actually the diversity um that's what makes a good e-learning program. Um, you know, it's not just the the quality of one voice. Um, you know, Eleanor here has been doing it for years. I don't. My voice is rubbish. Um, but there are many people who <laughs> so nobody's with arguing with you. <laughs> no, I don't hear any debate. Um, uh, but that's what we think is more important than just one voice that sounds fantastic. It's. Um, I think you need to get a variety that all combine and contribute to the program that you're trying to deliver. Yeah, because the listener will know if you don't understand what you're talking Absolutely. about. Because the listener is likely to know more about the subject than you are, because they're in that industry anyway. So they, you know, if you're if you're speaking words that you just don't understand, it's going to come across in the audio. Yeah, exactly. You need to have a, I'm sure, a, a tone of authority to some degree. Yes. Yeah, certainly if you're a narrator. You absolutely do. Um, but if you're a character actor, not not quite so no, much. No, that's true. Yeah, the character actors, and actually, some of the people that we use for the character voices, we probably, you know, with some of them, we possibly wouldn't choose for the narration, yeah. because people have different skills and and different needs for different roles in e-learning. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation, as I promised at the top of the uh, episode. Uh, Eleanor and Ed, uh, thank you so much. Uh, for uh, bringing your insights because uh, this is really uh, an important field that is going to continue to become more and more important as we see these trends in e-learning uh, moving in the direction that they are and to provide that really high quality experience that learners are expecting more and more every day. So thank you both for joining us today. It's thank been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us and remember to always keep learning. <laughs>